April 11th, 2023. Roll call, President Kimberly Brandon. Here. Vice President Willie Adams. Here. Commissioner Gail Gilman. Present. And I believe Commissioner Stephen Lee is on his way. The San Francisco Port Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatish Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land, and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatish Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatish Ohlone community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Item number two is the approval of minutes for the February 28, 2023 Port Commission meeting. I so move. Second. We have a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? The minutes have been unanimously approved. Item number three is the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Item number four is announcements. Please note that our next meeting will be on April 25th, 2023. Please be advised that the ringing of and use of cell phones and similar sound-producing electronic devices are prohibited at this meeting. A member of the public has up to three minutes to make public comments on each agenda item, unless the Port Commission adopts a shorter period on any item. Public comment must be in respect to the current agenda item. The Commission will take in-person and remote public comment on each item, beginning with commenters in person. For remote public comment, Dial 1-415-655-0001 and enter access code 2593-214-3879 pound pound. Then dial star 3 to be added to the queue for that particular item. An audio prompt will signal when it is your turn to speak. If you are watching this meeting on SFGov TV, there is a short broadcasting delay. To not miss your chance to comment, please dial when the item you want to comment on is announced. Mute your device and listen to the meeting from your telephone, which has no delay. Item number five is public comment on items not listed on the agenda. And I would like to remind callers to dial star three if you wish to make public comment. Thank you, Jenica. Is there any public comment on items not listed on the agenda? Seeing none. Corey will give us instructions for our remote participants. Um, there's no public comments on the line right now. Okay, thank you. Public comment is closed. Jenica, next item, please. Item 6A is the Executive Director's Report. Good afternoon, President Brandon, Vice President Adams, Commissioner Gilman, Port staff, and members of the public. I am Elaine Forbes, the Port's Executive Director. We have two recent events that sadly remind us why Earth at April is Earth Month. 
the winter storm and the very extreme weather and the cancellation of salmon season in California. This is the time to raise our awareness and activate change to protect the health of nature and to overcome our climate crisis. Uh, 2023 commercial salmon season has been canceled because of too low number of Chinook salmon offshore. The closure is from Southern Oregon and includes all of California. Of course, this will directly impact our local fishers. As an anchor species for our local fishers, typically, typical years would bring over a million pounds of salmon across Pier 45. Fortunately, our local elected officials stepped up and are taking action. Speaker Emerita Nancy Pelosi, Congressman Jared Huffman, and state climate leaders were at Fisherman's Wharf last week to announce $450 million emergency proposal to support salmon fishers over the next year. I want to share with the public that the Port Commission's strategic plan and our mission puts fishing front and center as a key industry to meeting our mission. The port is committed uh, to commercial fishing in San Francisco, and we will continue to support our fishers in the ways we can. While we see intense headwinds on climate, let's reflect on what it looks like to be an enterprise agency in a city that is a leader on climate. Here are some of the port commissioners' major contributions to the city ascendance as an international climate leader. We've achieved the removal of over 300 square feet of dilapidated piers since 2001. This improved bay water quality and made the water's edge more beautiful and sustainable. We've been essential to the work to clean up contaminated property at Pier 70, Pier 39, and Mission Rock. Exploratorium, the cruise ship terminal, are LEED certified, and the Eco Center in Heron's Head Park is the first ever in the city's LEED Platinum Zero Net Energy building. We've installed solar at Pier 15, Pier 1, Pier 96, and Oracle Park. And at the wharf, we partnered with our local fishers to reduce packing and fishing processing waste. And we are improving air quality. We've cut emissions from our maritime operations more than half. We've given zero emissions hydropower to cruise ships at Pier 27 and to our large military, government, and commercial ships at Pier 70. On our southern waterfront, industrial maritime businesses handle 90% of the city's ready-mixed concrete, supporting 700 high-paying jobs. We've designed a one-stop eco-industrial center that shares local resources to manufacture the construction materials that build our city so that we don't have to truck in those bulky materials along our freeways and through our communities. This facility allows us to reduce 35,000 truck trips in San Francisco every year. Under the direction of this commission, we have accomplished a lot for our environment. It is great to stand back and see that this, and also to look ahead at what is possible. We're developing strategies to innovate again, to protect our climate with electrification, hydrogen, and by exploring a very exciting potential for offshore wind. Now to economic recovery and growth. As I said, the port team is developing strategies to welcome evolution in the maritime sector so that the port's recovery means more business and green jobs for our residents. Right now, the Eco-Industrial Center supports 700 jobs, but this will grow with careful planning. Now that Recology has agreed to end its cement crushing operation at Pier 94, we are reimagining the site, potentially as a training location for those who seek maritime careers. 
or a fabrication facility to support offshore wind industry. The port is also working to expand electrification and to support the growing West Coast offshore wind industry. Offshore wind is a major opportunity for District 10, for labor, for the port, and for our economic recovery. It's also a very critical component to achieving the state's goal of 90% clean energy goal by 2035. We're well positioned to be a hub to support offshore wind industry in California. And next month, the port staff will present to this commission and the public an overview of the role San Francisco could play uh, to welcome this industry to California. Moving to electrification, we have worked with our ferry providers to partner to expand electrification and to switch the fleets to cleaner fuels. Last month, the nation's first electric hydrogen fuel cell ferry boat, Sea Change, arrived and is in operation. Providing reliable green ferry transportation is a key amenity for our climate and our regional office workers. This is just the first step in the transition to a more sustainable practices for all transportation along our waterfront. This same green technology holds potential to, perform, to transform shipping and trucking, especially in the vicinity of Pier 96. In summary, we're very excited about the southern waterfront's future, and we believe it should be intricately, intricately tied to the city's climate innovation economy. This could mean clean, zero-emission energy to San Francisco maritime industrial activities and a new climate innovation activities on our maritime terminals that provide jobs for our residents in growing future forward industries. We're working with our labor partners to see this vision through, and I want to thank you, commissioners, and a special thank you to v Vice President Adams for always telling us to look toward the future. On equity, the port will remain committed to social justice through partnerships and activations along our waterfront. This month for Earth Month is another opportunity to come together. Please join us at the Eco Center Earth Resilience Month celebration, April 29, from 10.30 to 3.30, and that will be in Heron's Head Park. The Green Agers, uh, a paid employment program that engages uh, teens and youth to make meaningful contributions to environmental con conservation. Uh, those green agers are staffing the event. It'll be a fun time, and there'll also be activities from Planet um, B. And this is a dedicate. This is an organization dedicated to teaching young people about bees. On resilience, we are very deep in the Army Corps of Engineers' work, and we've reached over 500 community members to talk about our adaptation strategies. I want to thank the public for partnering with us as we continue to plan a resilient shoreline. Now to key projects. I want to talk about the Living Seawall Pilot Project. Uh, recent storm did damage 20% of those tiles that we discussed, and our crews are hard at work to get them back. But even so, we have very exciting results to report. After two months, we're seeing visible signs that the living seawall is coming to life. Uh, tiles have visible growth of native species such as uh, sea lettuce, Turkish washcloth, Olympian oysters, and the beautiful red seaweed. Uh, this living pilot is a two-year study with the uh, Smithsonian Environmental Research Center, and we're testing and evaluating how to add nature to the seawall. Um, this is looking at work around the world, from Seattle to Sydney. Uh, what can we do to make our seawall more, more ecologically uh, friendly for the future, cleaning the bay, promoting biodiversity, and improving habitat along our bay? Uh, we will continue to do work uh, at this commission's direction to improve our planet 
Happy Earth Day. Uh, that's my concluding remarks. I would like to recognize three people who are in the audience today. Um, I want to recognize Rudy Nothenberg, uh, former city administrator who co-chaired our waterfront land use planning process. I want to recognize Linda Richardson, uh, community activist and um, uh, commissioner who uh, was a vital member of our waterfront land use planning group and I believe a chair of a, a group as well as Alice Rogers. Uh, I'm very, very happy to see uh, these three individuals who committed so much time and energy into the waterfront plan and to our future. It's wonderful to see you back. And um, that concludes my report. Thank you. Thank you, Elaine. Great report. Okay, is there any public comment on the executive director's report in the room? Seeing none, Corey will provide instructions for our remote participants. If I may, President Brandon, I forgot that my report includes Rebecca Venesini. Sorry, Becca. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Becca. Uh, Rebecca is going to give an update on our real estate portfolio. Thank you. Thank you so much, Director Forbes, and hello, Commissioners. Rebecca Benesini, your Deputy Director for Real Estate and Development. Thank you, Tedman. I just wanted to show you a few slides on a topic that comes up in many of our items. Many of our items were so focused on one particular transaction, and I wanted to take this opportunity during the Executive Director's Report to give a little bit of a broader look at our leasing and vacancies, something that's I know of great interest as we look towards economic recovery and as we have individual new leases or terminations come before the commission, it's nice to just take a moment to kind of step back and look more broadly. So just a few slides for you. Um, looking specifically at vacancy and sort of our properties performance across different types of sectors, on the left-hand side, I wanted to go through office, shed, industrial storage, and then this broad category of uses we have called master leased properties, land, submerged land, parking leases. So you can see here sort of the relative size of each of those types. The largest one we have is 15 million square feet. That's sort of a combination of parking. It's mostly land and then ground leases where we have um, master tenants in place. We have a pretty low vacancy rate there. Um, we also have the next largest category of uses, which is the shed storage, our typical kind of peer store, uh, storage locations in our peer sheds. That has a relatively high vacancy rate, 25%. And then you see our office vacancy. We don't um, directly lease a lot of office, 400,000 square feet, but we have a not, a not a terrible vacancy rate relative to the city. Um, I also have these broken down by portfolio. Uh, we will have the 2023 data when we come back to you all for the parameter rate reset in May. So we'll have that data. I don't have it at hand today, uh, but I could tell you that I know in the Fisherman's Wharf portfolio, we've had a number of leases come back to us since 2022, and we'll expect that vacancy rate to go up. So this sort of overall metric gives you a sense as we go through time how our vacancy rate is performing. It doesn't look too bad. Our main areas that we still continue to have trouble leasing is in the storage um, in the pier sheds. That's one thing as we, I'm gonna go through a couple other metrics to give you a sense of why that is and what we're trying to do about that. So I wanna go through just kind of north to south and point out some locations where we're, our property managers are trying to lease but we're running into trouble for one reason or another. So each, um, each of the slides you're gonna see have colored stars that indicate what type of use is vacant and uh, where we have locations that we could invite tenants to come um, to, through our normal leasing process. 
The green stars indicate the retail restaurant. Those are Aliotos on Taylor Street, Pier 33 and a half, which is currently being marketed um, by one of our brokers that's on the, the city's as needed list. We have office vacancies, one on Jefferson Street, uh, a small space in Pier 35, some space in Roundhouse. We think we'll have more leases come up in Roundhouse as the year comes to a close at the end of the calendar year. We have storage and shed space in Pier 33, quite a lot in Pier 19. Um, and then we have various locations that because of their capital, because of the state of maintenance and code issues and other problems with the properties, we've had people or, or potential tenants come forward, but we haven't been able, been able to lease to them for one reason or another. So these include the sort of a previous office space on Jefferson Street where we could be office, could be converted into retail, Pier 35 you've heard has some structural issues with the columns. Pier 29 has been largely vacant. We've been ha having numerous people come and talk to us, but again, we're looking at column structural issues uh, that we're hoping to have fixed in the coming months. This story will continue to repeat itself a bit, but I think it's nice to look at each site with a little bit of detail. Um, on this next slide in the central waterfront and, and uh, just past um, Mission Creek, you'll see some of our vacancies in this location. We have the Ferry Plaza East building right behind us, currently being marketed by uh, the broker that we um, were able to enter into a contract with. We have office space at the Ag building. Uh, we have storage and shed space in piers 26, 28, also at pier 50. And we have several um, capital issues that are limiting what we'd like to do in terms of leasing. You can see in Pier 26, 28, um, those capital issues, there's some leaks, there's some issues with restrooms, there aren't working restrooms in all of the locations. Pier 54 has some issues as well that we're looking at um, what to do with next. But these are all spaces that are available to, that as you walk down the waterfront, you might think, why isn't that leased? Oftentimes we are running into a problem with deferred maintenance and just getting projects, um, projects through our, our small engineering department. And then the last uh, section I want to go through in the southern waterfront, we have a number of locations that are available. Um, for example, we do month we, we do month to month leasing in the Noonan building and Pier 70, Pier 80. We have a bit of office space in some of those smaller office buildings. We have some space at 501 Cesar Chavez. We also have some unpaved land at the backlands. We're still working to lease for construction laydown and other sorts of uses on a short term basis. The shipyard land and buildings, the buildings out there, many of them are in, are very incredible in lots of different ways, but again, a lot of deferred maintenance difficulties leasing there. And then same sort of thing with the capital issues um, in some of the buildings where we're really stymied in terms of getting those activated. And what we're really trying to do is just to keep them secure at, as, they, as we get to them um, through, our, through our capital program. For insights into our leasing efforts, we do we do the best we can, but we have some limitations. Limitations I'm going to speak about in a minute. Primarily, we have building signage. Uh, we do every couple of months update our vacancy list that we list on our uh, website. We have a leasing inquiry form on our website that we do receive um, email or receive not notifications of folks who are interested in our property. We get quite a lot of referrals. 
um, from other city agencies, from city departments like Office of Small Business, OEWD. We were able to rent a space through a referral from um, someone at the Department of Children, Youth, and Families. So we do have that sort of word of mouth, which works pretty well. Um, and we now have this other tool where we entered a contract with a, with a broker in January, and they've been marketing our two sites. And I'll give a little bit of an update as I go through the next slide on how that's going as well. So these are our leasing efforts. They're limited, but they have been enough to keep, um, if you've seen the latest leasing report I sent over to you, our minimum base rent is still continuing to go up. We still do have leasing. We released um, nine, uh, nine new leases last month and five the, lease the month before. So there still is activity, but there can be a lot more at this great um, property. So these are our primary constraints. We have a really limited, we have a limited marketing reach we have 100 plus year old facilities with various degrees of capital improvement needs um, that we're able to keep online um, through a lot of ingenuity and scrappiness on the uh, maintenance and engineering department's um, uh, behalf. And these are sorts of the sorts of improvements we see coming in the future as we continue to try to use our facilities to the greatest extent possible. First, um, we want to look at a competitive solicitation sort of makeover. We're going to have quite a number of locations open, and I've been working with our property managers to review how have we done competitive solicitations in the past for, for non-development kinds of leases. So how have we done them in the past? How can we do this more quickly and more efficiently and also be more responsive? Um, to, not sh to, to not have a distinct deadline where if nobody comes forward, we stop the whole process, to have some way to keep rolling things forward so long as we're really clear on criteria um, on what our ultimate goal is for each site. So we'll be coming in the future to figure out how to do this in a more efficient way. I I'm envisioning in May or June. Then we'll also have the, the parameter rent reset that will come in May and then May-June time period where we have that moment to look at our leasing incentives, see what's been working, and see what other sorts of incentives or um, sort of leasing techniques would help us with leasing and activations. And the other main thing is as we, we're, we've been trying to backfill four vacancies in real estate and our senior property managers, this is really, they will be very excited to hand off their property management duties, their day-to-day -day duties with the tenants so that they can be freed up to do some of this more leasing activation sort of um, fulfilling the dreams of the waterfront plan, like really implementing what we want for our facilities. That's something that's the most fun part of their jobs. And I know that they're really looking forward to having more hands on deck so that they can kind of turn their attention to the future rather than just responding to the day-to-day the -day, um, difficulties with, with weather and whatnot in terms of what happens in the spaces. So those are the efforts we're, we're moving on in terms of getting back on the front foot so that, lease, so that we're leasing and um, renewing our property rather than just kind of trying to get people into compliance with their lease and terminate and all those sorts of things that are still sort of that COVID tail that we've been uh, focused on. So I wanted to leave you, leave you with that in your minds as we go forward towards these other sorts of information and action items um, more formally in May and June. Thank you, commissioners. Thank you, Becca. Thank Rebecca. You. I was uh, wanting the, you to see this for your report and to see it for the public as we work through our real estate portfolio. I know you're getting your reports out from the real estate team, uh, but for the public to understand what we're facing and our uh, partners as well. And thank you, uh, Rebecca and team, for preparing the information. That concludes my report. Thank you, Elaine. I, I will open it up for public comment. Is there any public comment in the room?
Okay, Corey, do we have any public comment on the phone? <laughs> uh, please dial star three if you wish to make public comment. And at this time, it does not appear that there is anyone on the phone who wishes to make public comment. Thank you. Public comment is closed. Commissioner Gilman? Um, Elaine, Rebecca, thank you so much for your report. Um, I just really want to say how impressed I am with the environmental work we're doing. The fact that you said we're mitigating over 350 truck trips with our own laydown and manufacturing um, facility um, on our property you know, for those things, for construction equipment, et cetera, is just super exciting and something I think we need to be thinking about, particularly as a city, as our South and Market area has become less and less industrial or a place for folks to get supplies and get those things for the market. I think it's really commendable that we're doing it. So I wanted to uplift and highlight that. I'm really excited about the living seawall, and so I continue to look forward to getting reports from that um, and maybe even doing a field trip to go out and see it. If I could, I would love to do that. I, I think it's really, really exciting. And one thing that you didn't mention in your report that I actually did also want to commend the staff and food-wise here at the Ferry Building for was the pop-up on March 25th. I had the opportunity to attend it for local um, black-owned businesses and just want to say to the public, I got there at noon, said it went till 1, like everything was sold out. So um, when the Juneteenth celebration hits, I commend that we all get there at 8 or 9 a.m. Um, but it was a phenomenal success, and I just wanted to thank FoodWise publicly and the staff at the port for everything you did for that. Um, thank you. That concludes my comments. Thank you. Commissioner Lee? Uh, well, I missed the first part. Sorry. <laughs> Traffic. Um, I'm glad I got into Rebecca's um, property. Thank you for the uh, inspection. I went with you guys uh, last month, and it's just amazing um, what's underneath these restaurants that we have to lease. And I was just in Washington, D.C., and I mentioned this to uh, Speaker Pelosi about it, you know, and there was an earthquake that morning, and I was just telling her that, you know, it's just going to be a matter of time where Aliotto's in the water. And so hopefully there'll be some funds coming our way that way. But um, I guess what I'm, I'm curious is as we are working on fixing these older um, spaces, which we know that it's pretty dated, um, I guess what I want to know in the future, how we're going to figure out, like I know in the previous leases that they were responsible to fix underneath their buildings. But to be competitive, how do we integrate this is maybe part of the lease so they don't get scared away of saying, oh my God, we got to fix the bottom of our restaurant before we could take over. So I was thinking of some ideas that maybe, you know, they take a fair share of that as part of their lease agreement, uh, but kind of buried in there. And then if they do sell the restaurant, the next person would actually have that um, so-called cost to fix underneath the pier. But um, I'm glad we're making progress. And, I, and I'm glad that I could see some shed space in the southern side because, you know, I like, again, I've been talking to a lot of the nonprofits who are looking to share spaces and maybe some of these sheds that we're not using or maybe they need fixing and they can raise money to do that or they can actually share. They don't need 30,000 square feet, but they might need 5,000 square feet. And there might be like six or seven nonprofits. I know there's one in the Mission, a couple in Japantown. And maybe we should explore that, that rather than having it empty and not being used, uh, you know, the nonprofits can try to raise some money and maybe share the rent and the maintenance. 
So anyway, that's just moving forward, and I think you know we're in the right direction. It's going to be a lot of work. Uh, one other thing that when I got uh, uh, when I found out in Washington that at the U.S. Chamber uh, they're saying we're not going to be comfortable again until 2025 as far as economic recovery. So I have a feeling that we're going to be adjusting for another year. So I think with that in mind and all the leases, <laughs> you know, we were trying to attract. We got to be very creative. So thank you, uh, 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 Director, and, and the rest of the staff, and thanks for the uh, tour of the, of the port. Thank you. Vice President Adams? I want to say this is a great report, um, and I agree with Commissioner Lee. Um, I call this that we're going through a, the port and even the city. I call this the rebirth of the new cool of San Francisco. We're going through a new change in this city, and I think it's a good thing. And it's going to look a lot different than it looked like post-COVID, and that's okay. Change is good. Sometimes change is hard for people to accept, but that's the only way we grow. And so I, I see some good things happening. Um, to hear that the offshore wind, that's progressive. That's part of how the future is going to look. And it's good to see that you and your team, Director Forbes, are raising a focus on where we have to go as a port and how we're going to change and how we're going to make some adjustments. Um, I'm glad to know that we're worried about the salmon. We've known that the crab has been a situation that we've had the last couple of years. It's good to see that we've got new ferries that are coming that with hydrant and stuff like that. And once again, um, San Francisco's on the uh, cutting edge. I had some friends here and I was really proud to show them that we have the only fire station that's on the water here across the country. Once again, San Francisco, we're, uh, we're leading the way. And I want to say, Becca, thank you for that elegant report on the vacancy lease. And we've been asking about that for a long time, the commissioners on where we wanted to be on that. And I think that that is, uh, that's so important. And I want to say a special thank you to some of the guests, Rudy, and everyone that came out, Linda, all of Alice, Thank you for coming out. Uh, you were always here for us. And seeing you today only makes me think of our good friend, who I always called her a commissioner, Corinne. So thank you so much. You guys are our spirit, and you guys are our tailwind. Thank you, President Brandon. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Elaine and Rebecca, for both your reports, Elaine. Um, there are so many wonderful opportunities here at the port, and it's so great to see that the port continues to be a leader in so many areas, but especially with the climate issues and all that we're doing to, to be proactive um, for all that's going to come, even with the Waterfront Resilience Program, along with everything else that we're doing. We, we, we are truly leaders and um, trying to get ahead of the storm. <laughs> but there are so many wonderful opportunities um, with economic recovery, with all that's going on here. And the, and the uh, port staff is just amazing. And we, we are going to be leaders in the economic recovery of San Francisco. So please keep doing all the great work. Um, I do want to welcome Rudy, Linda, and Alice, it's great to see all of you, and thank you for your commitment and all that you've done to help the port with the waterfront land use plan and other things. Um, you guys are very committed, and we really appreciate you. So, oh, um, Rebecca, on the on the um, 
vacancy and leasing briefing. As, as Commissioner Lee said, you know, there's a lot of storage space, and I was just wondering if we could get more detail, like, are we trying to lease out entire piers? Are we trying to lease, like, if, can we take a pier and break it out and lease to, you know, smaller agencies? Or, you know, what can we do with our sheds? Because they've been sitting vacant for a long time, so yeah. I'm just wondering. Thank you for asking. So definitely Pier 19 is a good example where we have small spaces that are mostly used for storage, their back office for restaurants or for other sorts of um, front-facing kind of businesses and those storage locations, like we, during the Chinese New Year parade, we segmented out a small space for storage of the float. So we can break it up for sure. We just need a bit of time and fencing and all, all that. So we are, we are trying to market 19 for that. Pier 29 is completely open and we're just needing to do some work on the columns before we can market that one. Um, but we are, we are open for smaller spaces for sure. Oh, great. Commissioner Gilman? Sorry, that may think of the question. So um, when we talk about the shed space, when we talk about the shed space, um, is it similar um, to the space um, on, I want to say, Pier 40? Like when you walk backwards, there's that shed space that a lot of folks are using, particularly mar um, marina tenants. Exactly. That sort of storage space is just right. Just one note, though, some of those businesses have brought in trailers to make it look more like an office, and that's not typically something we'd want to do because we just can only use so much occupancy in each shed. So we most of the sheds are limited by how much person activity they can have. Um, so that's one difficulty is they're mostly used for storage and then just very... Because that was my question. So, you know, like internet, like electricity, bathrooms, this is meant purely for storage. Primarily for storage unless the entity is able to put in some sort of improvement. So that's okay. the real limitation. Thank you. Thank you. Vice President. Rebecca, I got a question for you. How are we doing the port compared to like the rest of the city with vacancies and leasing? Because you got to look at everything, right? Just not the port, but as a city, where do we stand in, in the port? How do we stand across San Francisco? And are we about where we should be? And is this like the norm about where we're at? We're still very solid on office. The office vacancy rate in the city is very high, so we're doing well. We should be doing better, I think, on the storage side. I think that's one thing we've been talking. We have our economic consultant on board for Parameter, and we're speaking with them again, like, what are we not doing because there should be more demand for storage? So it's, it's either access or it's how the buildings, how people can get to their facility if they do rent something in the shed. So we're trying to figure that out. That's the one area that I think we should be able to lease. And we, it might also be just the congestion on the northern waterfront. People don't want to bring their um, items up there. So we're trying to figure that side out. But on office, we're doing pretty well relative to the rest of the city. Okay. Thank you. Any, uh, one, one quick question. <laughs> so on those shed spaces, um, not including fire lane, obviously, how much space is there, square footage-wise? A lot. I mean, we're talking um, about... A typical shed is maybe 100,000 square feet, and then you take out 10 or 20% for sort of circulation. So it's very... Like, Pier 29 is one of the smaller sheds. Maybe it's 70,000. I'm, I'm roughly estimating, but you can get the image of how, how big it is. Wow. Okay, thank yeah. you. They're huge. They're huge spaces. Any other questions or comments? Thank you, Rebecca. Jenica, next item, please. Item 7 is the consent calendar. 7A requests approval of license number 17025 with Pacific Cruise Ship Terminals, LLC, 
for terminal operations parking at Pier 29 during cruise operations at Pier 27. That is Resolution 2313. Thank you. Commissioners, can I have a motion? So moved. Second. Is there any public comment in the room? Seeing none, Corey, is there any public comment on the phone? At this time, there is no one on the phone wishing to make public comment. Thank you. Public comment is closed. Do we have a motion and a second? All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? The motion passes unanimously. Resolution 2313 is adopted. Jenica, next item, please. Item 8A requests authorization to award construction contract number 2848, Roundhouse 2 Roof, Solarium and Windows, to Roebuck Construction, Inc., in the amount of $4,586,900, an authorization for a contract contingency fund of 10% of the contract amount, or $458,690, for unanticipated conditions, for a total authorization not to exceed $5,045,590. That's Resolution 2314. Good afternoon, sorry, good afternoon, uh, President Brandon, Vice President Adams, Commissioners Gilman and Lee. Uh, my name is Erica Peterson and I'm the Ports Project Manager for the Roundhouse 2 Roof Solarium and Windows Replacement Project. And I will be giving today's presentation requesting authorization to award this construction contract. Uh, this is an action item to award Roundhouse 2 Roof Solarium and Windows Replacement contract to Roebuck Construction, the lowest responsive and responsible bidder, to the invitation for bids published on January 11th. The amount of this contract is $4,586,900, and authorization includes a 10% contingency request for a total authorization of $5,045,590. The contract work is located at the Roundhouse 2 building at 10 Lombard Street across the Embarcadero from the Pier 27 cruise terminal and will replace the building roof, second through fourth floor windows, and the fourth floor solarium structure. In this in this presentation, I will talk about how this contract meets the port's strategic objectives, the background and scope, advertisement and port's outreach, provide a comparison of the bids, introduce the low bidder and subcontractors, discuss the funding and the proposed schedule. This project supports the goals of the port's strategic plan by addressing issues to allow the port to continue to lease space to the current tenants in Roundhouse 2, as well as adding lease space that is currently unleasable on the fourth floor. It will address deferred maintenance and protect the rent revenue generated by Roundhouse 2. The Roundhouse 2 project site is uh, here highlighted in orange, outlined in yellow on the slide. It's located at the intersection of Lombard and Sansom Streets and across the Embarcadero from the cruise terminal. It's a four-story reinforced concrete office building and the Roundhouse 2 building was constructed in the 1980s when the property was rehabilitated to accommodate office uses. Being built in the 80s, it's not historic. However, it's part of a three-building complex that is a designated landmark site. The other two buildings on the designated landmark site are Roundhouse One, shown here in that yellowish gray color, and the Sand House, uh, shown in green. Roundhouse Two is currently occupied by various tenants, primarily office and commercial space, and is maintained by the port. 
The building envelope was inspected by architects in 2018 and 19, and the building has water intrusion issues that have caused damage to the interior and make some of the areas of the building unleasable. Most of the fourth floor is currently unoccupied due to the water intrusion issues. Uh, this includes a glass solarium. You can see the number two over there. Uh, that's a structure with a patio overlooking the Embarcadero. So this project will address the water intrusion issues and deferred maintenance in order to protect the building from further damage and to increase the leasable space in the building. Uh, so here we're looking at a bird's eye view of the building. There's three main scopes of work for this project. First, the roof, uh, which will include demolition of the existing roof system and installation of installation yeah, of new insulation and roofing system and a new roof structure will be constructed over the existing mechanical enclosure shown there. Um, the second item is demolition of the existing solarium structure on the fourth floor and installation of a new solarium, a similar looking solarium. And then the windows on the second, third and fourth floors will be demolished and replaced with new windows of a similar style. We advertised this contract on January 11th and held an optional virtual pre-bid meeting on January 18th. A bid walk was held on January 20th. Port staff conducted outreach to companies representing the trades for this contract during the advertisement period, including local business enterprise contractors. We advertised to the ethnic chambers of commerce and community-based organizations that support small businesses. We also post to SF City Partners, which is a widely accessed uh, site by contractors and vendors. The pre-bid meeting was attended by contractors from 10 different firms, seven of which were LBEs. So on February 8th, port staff publicly opened bids from three contractors. We're pleased to say they were all LBEs. Staff have reviewed the bids and determined that Roebuck is the lowest responsive, responsible bidder. Roebuck's total price of four and a half million plus a 10% contingency is under the budget for work and the final bid rankings are shown here on this table. Roebuck Construction is a certified LBE firm headquartered in the Bayview neighborhood. Roebuck has extensive experience working in the city of San Francisco and on port projects, and some examples of these are shown here on this slide. The LBE goal for this contract was 16%, which was shown to be met here on this table. The percentage was lower than some other recent contracts due to a high percentage of the cost of the project tied to materials. Because the building is located on a historic landmark site, the project will be replacing over 60 windows, which will need to be custom made, and that is tied to a lot of the cost of the project. So Roebuck's team does include 51% of work done by LBE contractors when you include them as the prime in the contract. Roebuck's bid of $4.5 million plus the authorized 10% contingency is within budget and the funding is through Port Capital. If you approve this authorization to award today, we anticipate notice to proceed construction in June and would be on track to have substantial completion in January of 2025. Uh, I'll note that the lengthy construction duration here is due to the long lead time to procure the windows and solarium materials. In conclusion, we respectfully request that you authorize the award of this contract to the lowest responsible and responsive bidder, Roebuck Construction. Myself and Rory Murphy from Roebuck are here to answer any questions you may have. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Erica.
we will now. Oh, can I have a motion? So moved. Second. Thank you. We will now open it up to public comment. Is there any public comment in the room? Seeing none, Corey, is there any public comment on the phone? At this time, it <clears throat> does not appear that there is any public comment. No, nobody on the phone who wishes to make public comment. Thank, Thank you. you. Commissioner Lee? Um, I don't have any real comments other than yeah, it's great that um, they have the lowest bid and, you know, they are in the Bayview area. Um, I'm just, you know, for, for general purposes for myself and, uh, again, always, you know, on bids, you can always be the lowest bidder, but do you finish the job on time, you know? And and, I'm, and reading these documents, you know, I never see anything really like they get extra points for finishing their jobs on time. And, I, you know, I just, maybe in the future, I don't know if that's new business or something that we can, you know, ask for in the future. But, you know, that's something that's kind of always in my mind that he's, you on, know, you, on time and under budget. Exactly. <laughs> under budget is one thing, but you know, on time is the most important factor, you know, so. We could certainly talk about that in more detail. I will say the city administrator has been working on, with Chapter 6 departments, the mm -hmm. ones that can do construction contracts like us and DPW and the airport, et cetera, on ways in which we can, um, as a city, look at contractor performance. Um, certainly if a contractor is disbarred, they're disbarred. Sure. You know, they can't compete. Um, so we're, we have been looking at more centralized ways in which to consider uh, uh, contractor performance and there there are points I believe relative to what the the firm has obviously performed in the past and the work that we can count on that they have experience from so there are pieces that relate to contractor right. performance in the process we yeah. could certainly talk about it more um, or we could wait until the city administrator comes up and and tells departments how that this will be for chapter six it is an active uh, active work that the city is is doing through uh, City I think too. you know the process has been been fine all these times, but you know I've I've seen other documents where the contingency's been used up, or you know obviously environmental issues will delay a project. But you know I've I've been on the other side where it's sometimes it just take forever, and and I notice that even if you're the lowest bid, later on you're not the lowest bid anymore. So that's just something for me, you know, my own pet peeve. Thank you. And, and I think it's a great suggestion that um, for our projects is we, we we see them in the beginning but we never know how they end mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so maybe we can develop some type of reporting we certainly could I will say you know how they end if they go poorly because we come <laughs> to you and we ask for more money and time so when you don't know how they ended they ended like we said they would end <laughs> but of course we can prepare a report we have reports internally uh, about this so we will share them with Commission absolutely thank Th you thank you Commissioner Gilman um, I have no questions I'm supportive of the item thank you Vice President Adams Erica great job no questions Thank you, um, Erica. Just a couple of questions. So, I, I I think it's wonderful that we have an LBE firm, and I always support our local business enterprises. But I'm just wondering, why was there a protest? A protest? Yes, we did receive a bid protest from Ingadi and Riley, one of the bidders, um, and their protest was saying that Roebuck bid one didn't meet the LBE criteria of 16%, um, saying that one of their subs wasn't certified for the work that they were doing. However, CMD reviewed it, 
determined that the uh, sub that was listed was certified for the right stuff and we ultimately denied the bid protest. Okay, thank you. And then I noticed that the roundhouse was on the vacancy report. Mm -hmm. So how much of the roundhouse is vacant? Hmm. Okay, I don't know the, I know there's tenants Rebecca's on the second floor. The yeah. <laughs> <laughs> second floor, third floor have tenants. So the fourth floor is vacant, and so when, once we do this repair, these repairs, then we'll be able to lease that space. And I've been in there, and it's beautiful, beautiful <laughs> view. <laughs> Somebody's got to want it. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the report. We have a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Resolution 2314 is adopted. Jenica, next item, please. I would like to remind callers to dial star three if you wish to make public comment. Item 9A requests adoption of CEQA findings, mitigation monitoring and reporting program, and the final waterfront plan. That is resolution 2315. Good afternoon, Pre President Brandon and members of the commission. I'm Diane Oshima with the Planning and Environment Division as a Special Project Manager, and I'm very pleased to be here to um, recommend the approval of the final waterfront plan. Today, uh, I'll be going over the following items just to re recap some of our previous um, uh, presentations regarding plan revisions, um, to give a summary, uh, particularly for our newer commissioners, about the public process, and I am so grateful and honored that we have the leadership from the Waterfront Plan Working Group here um, to really provide their perspectives as well as to uh, what that public process entailed, um, what the Waterfront Plan's relationship is to the other strategic documents at the Port Commission and the Port run by, and um, some details about the EIR certification and ultimately the recommendation. Um, you, I was last here in January, so it was a while ago, where we um, presented some revisions to the waterfront plan. Um, many of those revisions were related to comments that we had received from the Dolphin and the South End Swim Clubs, but at the time the commission members flagged a, a key issue that um, we have addressed in this staff report regarding uh, transportation policies and getting some better clarification about the intent as relates particularly to the Embarcadero Enhancement Project and pedestrian safety issues along the Embarcadero. So in your staff report today are proposed revisions that um, staff proposes to include in the final waterfront plan that's intended to respond to the Commission comments. Um, among those are amendments to policy 18 to provide clarification about the importance and the priority of pedestrian safety along the Embarcadero Promenade. And in the discussion leading up to those policies to make it clear as to the distinction between the Embarcadero Promenade and the Embarcadero Roadway itself because the Embarcadero Enhancement Project primarily is um, affecting changes within the roadway so that we can improve the experience and safety along the promenade. And so if you have any questions, I'm happy to address those revisions, but the intent of the revisions is to respond to the comments that we received from the Port Commission. Um, 
we have also, I think, I just wanted to um, clarify that these are all in sync with revisions that we also received from the SFMTA, which also was looking to make sure that the waterfront plan policies are in alignment with the city's transportation policies so that we have an aligned understanding about how to apply them along the waterfront. Um, I wanted to also spend a bit of time, uh, particularly with um, members of our working group here, to really speak to the depth and the caliber of the public process that backs up these policy amendments to uh, create the final waterfront plan. Um, Co-chair Rudy Nothenberg, who's here, shared the dais with Janice Lee um, on a three-year process and they really provided the focus and the vision and the leadership for the port staff throughout this entire time and guided the entire working group, the seven waterfront plan advisory teams to really keep an eye on what are the real issues that the waterfront plan should address. Um, and from that uh, effort, you know, developed 161 policy recommendations of which 160 were unanimously endorsed and accepted by the Port Commission as well as part of the update to the waterfront plan. This was done in addition to um, providing a deep dive on the financial and economic responsibilities of the port where we had a um, economic consultant provide modeling for the public and the working group to understand port leasing, what's required to make them financially viable, how do we factor in public access and historic preservation, all of these public benefits that are key principles in the waterfront plan so that people could really understand the job that the Port Commission has to balance all of these different public, pol uh, public benefits to achieve the best outcomes for each of the port's projects. Um, we really enjoyed great um, support and participation from our agency partners, including the State Lands Commission, BCDC, the Planning Department, SFMTA, so that we're really trying to integrate the larger regional and city policy objectives in this plan and to be aligned um, as governmental agencies across the board. And um, with that, you know, to provide for the port a long-term outlook that will continue to provide good guidance for the Port Commission's strategic plan, um, the foundation for the Waterfront Resilience Program, and a lot of the equity values that are now being developed in more detail through the Racial Equity Action Plan. So um, trying to weave all of these together so that they have um, alignment and synchronization was really a, a focus of um, this whole effort. Um, the process involved three stages of work with an orientation process, the policy development, and then a community engagement phase so that there was time dedicated to try and explain what the working group's work entailed what the waterfront plan would look like so that um, the citizenry could understand and that was a really rewarding uh, page of the process as well. 
So, um, before the Port Commission could approve um, this final waterfront plan with these latest revisions, uh, we had to finish the environmental review process under the California Environmental Quality Act. Um, and fortunately, uh, the Planning Commission uh, certified the final EIR on March 16th. Um, we had, in the process, worked further with uh, the swim clubs, the South End Rowing Club, and the planning department to incorporate information about water recreation uses into the EIR that were aligned with the revisions we made in the plan. So I think we've got good alignment on the environmental information as well as the policies. And um, I wanted to really recognize uh, that work with the swim clubs and particularly David Beaupre was uh, shepherding that as well um, as I was away for a time. I wanted to also express thanks to the planning department, their environmental planning staff, the city attorney and ESA associates for the excellent work that they did on this environmental review process. And then we're still working with the planning department uh, in their long range planning division to propose amendments to the city's general plan and planning code so that the city's policies and the port's updated policies will be consistent with each other. And that is moving forward as well as work that we'll be doing, continue to be doing with BCDC to amend the special area plan. So with that, um, I'm here to recommend uh, the approval of resolution 2315, which includes approval of CEQA findings uh, for the final EIR. Um, and the updated final waterfront plan and to really on behalf of the port staff express our deep, deep gratitude to the waterfront plan working group, the advisory teams, our port advisory committee members and the general public for all of the time that they invested. This is a long time coming. It was a three-year process and it happened right at the birth of the pandemic and we've been sort of all been trying to muscle through this period. So um, it's a big deal. I mean, uh, we, we found that the public really cares very deeply about this waterfront and what the port is doing and the handoff to, from the waterfront plan process to now the community engagement in the resilience program and the Port Commission strategic plan efforts are all related to each other and um, hopefully the public can understand um, all the way up through uh, Elaine's executive director report today. Um, so um, I want to again express and recognize Linda Fadiki Richardson and Rudy Nothenberg and Alice Rogers as kind of our leaders but there is a cast of thousands behind it. Um, and also um, to thank the port staff and particularly the waterfront plan team. Um, many of us have gone different ways, but you know, David Beaupre, Brad Benson, Ann Cook, Carrie Kilstrom, Carol Bach here today. Uh, it was a great collaborative team and we were inspired by the public's interest in um, making this waterfront even better. So thank you very much. Happy to answer any questions and um, let's move forward.
Thank you, Diane. Thank you for a wonderful report, and thank you for all that you do, Diane. And as part of your report, I would like to invite Rudy, Alice, and Linda to come and speak and not be limited to the three minutes. Take your time. Who wants to go first? Rudy? Co-chair? <laughs> thank you. Thank you, commissioners. It is a pleasure to be here. It, it has been a long time, as Diane said. And it is high time that we conclude this, and we conclude it on the high note with which you're approaching it now. I do have one slight note that I'd like to call to your attention. The plan, as we proposed it to you, had a large number of substantive issues dealing with the way in which the port manages the land for which it is a custodian. There were also a number of recommendations that we made to you which had to, do, had to deal with the process by which you manage that responsibility that you have. I think most of us at the time were still a little burnt by the contention that had accompanied other projects that were on the table at the time, whether it's Pier 32 or 8 Washington and all the rest of them. And so we put in a number of recommendations which were designed to diminish, if not eliminate, at least diminish the contention that accompanied these, these projects and other projects at May, if the economy recovers, come your way. And I just hope that the, and I think I can speak for most of the people who were with me on the committee, that these procedural um, safeguards that we wrote into the plan are observed by staff and by the commission as we go through the years to come. Obviously, the substantive uh, recommendations as to what it ought to, what the waterfront ought to consist of, are the primary, uh, the meat of the of the, of the uh, report. But please look and remember that the process by which you engage in these substantive efforts is also important. It's important to the community. It's important to avoid the time and the energy and the acrimony that follows processes that aren't quite what they should be. So please remember that as well, and uh, congratulations on finally having the plan. I'm happy to have played a role in it. Thank you. Thank you so much. We really appreciate all of your time and effort in leading the group towards these 160 recommendations that we... we and actually, I must say it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. Uh, Linda, Alice, would you? <laughs> Good afternoon, President Brandon, and I'm going to call all of you by name. The Honorable Willie Adams, Commissioner Lee and Gilman, always our esteemed director, Elaine Forbes, and the staff. Well, thank you for the opportunity to be part of this exercise, there is no, you know, I've been reading ports, plans throughout the country, and I can tell you that what we have, there is no one like that. Long Beach, New York, and some of the signature ports in the country. The part of San Francisco was the economic driver of San Francisco and the region before the COVID-19. With the passage of this document, 
you are going to lead the economic recovery forward. There is no other city agency that is better positioned, that is highly focused, have the expertise to lead San Francisco, the region, out of the conundrum that we find ourselves right now. This waterfront plan has policies that are specifically dedicated, well thought up, with specific guidelines and what needs to be done. And I hope that the city and county of San Francisco will be looking up to you, President Biden, Vice President Willie Adams and the commissioners, as we embark on bringing San Francisco recovery forward. There are all these discussions going on now, but I can tell you that if we adhere to this plan, it will lift every sector of San Francisco. Thank you so much, Diana Oshima. I hope that one day when I'm going to the prominent, and Bacadero prominent, and the Southern Waterfront, there will be a plaque of your name there. We are going to work on that. <laughs> you know, I'm a citizen of San Francisco, resident of Baby Hornets Point, in acknowledgement of you, Diana, for the decades and decades helping us with the Southern Waterfront and the Baby Revitalization Plan. And I know that under the leadership of our esteemed director, Elaine Forbes, that we will be able to move San Francisco forward. I want to take this opportunity again to acknowledge, yes, Debbie Bupre. We've gone decades. You always there for us as well. And also Brad Benson. We wanted to also thank Kerry and Anne and Carol. And the honor goes to the one and only Mr. Rudy Nothingberg for the, for the historic effort in putting this together. Thank you, sir, for all you've done. You know, given the caliber of the working group, it was a representative of just about the major stakeholders in San Francisco, and there hasn't been any effort, and I doubt will be any effort of that caliber to really put things forward. And thank you, Alice Rogers. Commissioners, thank you so much. Please approve this plan. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. We really appreciate you and the, the subcommittee that you chaired, and we thank you for your time and all that you've done to make the waterfront the place that it is. So thank you so much. Alice. Good afternoon, Commissioners, Lane Forbes, Diane. At last, this time I didn't forget Diane. <laughs> Um, I'm Alice Rogers, and I want to thank you really for the um, honor of being asked to serve on the Waterfront um, Working Group, um, and really the privilege. It, um, the Waterfront Plan is something that you were um, you have to do by law, but there was nothing about this Waterfront Plan that was perfunctory. Um, Diane really laid it all out. But you dedicated thousands of hours of time um, to educate the community, to examine in depth all of the issues, and to really, three years' worth, um, encourage 
public participation and testimony and ideas and it was we didn't get lost in i think thanks to rudy's guidance we didn't get lost in administrative minutiae or bureaucracy the focus was really all on the substantive issues so it was such a privilege to be able to work with rudy with linda with diane with the entire team um i never would have thought that i would have ended up in a group like that um so this is a huge milestone um i hope that you'll approve the plan at long last and thank you again thank you alice and thank you for being such a great great steward of our waterfront and we really appreciate you all that you have done thank you for being a committee chair and helping rudy and diane bring the process to where it is today thank you so much okay commissioners can i have a motion to approve resolution 2315 so moved second we will open it up for public comment is there any public comment in the room seeing none corey is there anyone on the line Uh, there is no one on, at this time. There is no one on the phone wishing to make public comment. Thank you. Public comment is closed. Commissioner Gilman. So Diane, um, Rudy, Linda, and Alice, I just want to thank you all for your phenomenal work on this, and particularly for um, hearing and um, concluding the concerns, particularly around maritime and water use on the um, northeast sector of the waterfront. So I really want to commend you on that. I, I completely support the plan. I have just one request. Um, this goes to the comment that Rudy made around the recommendations um, around um, development and land use. Um, in particular, since we just at last commission had an unsolicited proposal for the Northeast Waterfront, I would love either a briefing or an informational hearing on what those suggestions are. It seems like some are non-binding and just suggestions or recommendations for us to decide whether we want to incorporate them into our public process or our process of decision making and i think it's timely with that proposal that we review them once the plan has gone either um, through the remaining steps to be ratified and certified because i know that things could still change but i think that would be helpful for the commissioners and i appreciate your time on this yes um thank you commissioner gilman there are public process reviews in the policies, in the plan, and I'm act actively working with David and the planning and environment team to make sure that we lift those out and we use those as the um, checklist of how the information is made available to the commission and the public for review. So um, those policies are actively in play. Yes, I did, I did want to add that um, for your um, for you to feel more confident um, in the sole source, we are following the recommendations of the waterfront plan okay. to a T. Uh, also, in the request for proposals for Piers 3032, the competitive solicitation process, we followed the recommendations okay. there related to community engagement and really see these as the best, best practices uh, in bringing information and transparency to you as you decide how to govern these lands. So, so then are we going to be memorializing and make, taking these from our recommendation phase into a policy phase and adopting these practices? Well, as we adopt the plan, 
Diane, you're saying we're writing the administrative checklist, but adopting the plan, I believe, is accepting these. And memorializing them? Okay. I and memorializing them, yes. yes. Okay. Yes. Thank you so much. Sure. I appreciate it. Thank you. And I appreciate, in particular, all of the work from everyone on the committee. Um, but um, thank you, in particular, Rudy, Linda, Alice, um, and um, Janice, who I know is not here today. <coughs> thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Lee? Well, <clears throat> since I'm the newest guy here. Um, I think this plan is amazing. We're gonna have to follow it. I always believe that, you know, a business plan in order, whatever it is. Um, just looking at the photo of you guys sitting around the table, I can imagine how much arguing is going on, maybe. Um, my only question is, is how much, I, I know there are environmental groups and uh, public usage, but how much of the business community were you listening to? Or, I mean, COVID happens sometimes for general reasons. Um, public safety, you know, um, I kind of, before COVID happened, I was, you know, always warning that small business has been overlooked. And that's part of the economic recovery of the port. So I'm just wondering during your conversations of all the meetings that you had, were there people from the business community involved or any, any retired, you know, uh, entrepreneurs, I'm just questioning, that's my question. Yes, um, the answer is yes. Uh, there was a very intentional effort to include all of the different stakeholders and the particular types of businesses along the waterfront were certainly key to that. So we had several maritime industry representatives, maritime industrial in, uh, industry representatives. We had the representative from the hotel council, from the Fisherman's Wharf Community Business District, so that those local flavored types of businesses that particularly um, are um, adapted to the waterfront, we wanted to make sure that those voices were included in the waterfront plan working group membership. And then um, through the public meetings as well, we had numerous business and um, uh, maritime representatives that would participate. So um, was there pretty much a consensus? I mean, I think everybody has in their mind about the safety and of the public coming to the port and, and protecting business. So did you have to adapt your plan a lot or kind of you guys are already kind of in line with that? Well, I think this is where the credit really goes to the Waterfront Plan Working Group, to, to Rudy and Janice and the subcommittee chairs for leading very inclusive and civil. I mean, it was, there might have been a lot of different points of view that were not in necessarily alignment, but we didn't have controversy. We didn't have angry words. We had people expressing what their particular issues were in a collaborative way. And then developing policy language that, you know, across 161 recommendations, you can try and right. really balance through in all of these nine categories of, of um, focuses from maritime on through environmental. Um, how to manage them. So that it's, it's reflective of the balancing act that the Port Commission always brings to the job, um, is to look at it from multiple perspectives. And people hopefully learn something in the process by looking at it from a different perspective than what they might uh, normally be um, aware of. And um, 
you know, in the end, 160 of those 161 recommendations were unanimously endorsed by the working group members. So it was really the public's work at this, right. and that's why it's so powerful then for the Port Commission and the Port staff to carry that forward. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of work. I mean, I, I congratulate all of you guys for that. <clears throat> and, you know, for the people that don't have a voice and, and, and don't understand immigrant mom and pops that, that come here for, to you know, open a business and they don't understand the environmental issues. So I really, uh, you know, thank you so much for all that and everybody here. And um, if it's, you know, obviously adopted, you know, I'm going to follow this plan. Great. Good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Vice President Adams. I can only say, um, man, this is a masterpiece. Rudy, Janice, Alice, Linda. You know, anything we do in San Francisco, and you understand, is politics. It's politics. We can't help it. But you know what? Democracy is painful. And I just want to say that Rudy and Janice and Linda and Alice, you had the patience. You let it go back and forth. And I've learned that's good. That's democracy. And I think everybody felt like they had their voice. Um, you gave us everything in, in your tank. But what's more important, you had patience with the commissioners. You had patience with the port staff, the director. Uh, and, and then you had patience with the public. Because sometimes as human beings, we're just we're difficult. <laughs> right? That's just how it is. And that's, and that's okay, right? And Rudy, I see you smiling. <laughs> and, you know, but that's a good thing. And Alice, all the times you guys have come here, you've seen that, right? But to me, this is something where democracy and Diane played out at its best. Really, you think about that. It, it, it played out. I don't think anybody can say that they didn't have their voice heard. You beat it up. You beat it to death. And that's what we do. And, uh, and I want to thank you for giving your time. You didn't get paid for doing this. Um, you're shepherds of this port. And generations to come will benefit from all this hard work. It's painful. And you may not hear from anybody. But I can say this commission and everyone in this room, if you hear from nobody else, we appreciate it. And I wanted to tell you that. And I don't want to say anything about anybody when they're dead at a memorial <laughs> service. I want to say it now where you can hear me. Thank you very much. I don't know what you're coming up for now. <laughs> I just wanted to, uh, again, say thank you to you personally and also remind you that we did have labor representation on the commission, on the committee as well. As both the business community was well represented and we had somebody from RW on the commission, as well, on the committee as well. And one final comment, you know, you, Everything you say is politics. There's a, I've been in politics a very long time, as you know. And one of the things we learned very early is that in San Francisco politics, all land use issues are politics. And that is, remains true today as it was way back then. And we managed to avoid the political pitfalls in presenting this plan to you. Thank you. And while you're standing there, can I just jump in and, and, and just say that I remember from the original waterfront land use plan, when it was adopted, you spearheaded the renaissance of the port 
after that adoption, starting with the Giants Ballpark and all the development that has followed along the waterfront. You have been such an asset to this port, and we really want to thank you, and we are grateful that you are still, you still want to be involved in all that's going on here. We really appreciate you. I was given some good opportunities, and I appreciate doing what I could do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, President. Are you done? I'm oh, okay. President Thank you. Thank you, Vice President Adams. Sorry to interrupt, but I had to take advantage of that opportunity. <laughs> but I really, really, really have to thank Diane. Diane, you guys just don't know how lucky we are to have Diane here in her retirement, yeah. still leading this process. She was here for the original waterfront land use plan adoption or, or, or process which took six years, six years. She did it in record time this time, half the time, three years. <laughs> but I think it's so phenomenal that you put together such a great internal working group with Carrie, Ann, Carol, Brad, and yourself, a lot of those people who were here for the original adoption. You also put together a great working group and to make sure that every district within this city was represented in the working group, but with our great chairs, our co-chairs, Janice and Rudy, and our subcommittee chairs, Alice, Linda, and Pia. Great group to lead this process, to, to develop this in, in record time, considering how long it took the first time, uh, with such consensus and which, with such great recommendations coming out of it. You, we really, truly appreciate you and your leadership and all you do for the port because you, you, you I mean, you are so, uh, the, when I think of the water plan, the first thought is Diane. She is the waterfront plant. <laughs> she, Diane is, is so much a part of the port and, and the great, all that you see outside. She, is, she has touched every piece of it. Um, and so we are eternally grateful for you, and we thank you for all that you did to bring us to this point. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but really, this waterfront plan and this waterfront is everyone's effort. And so, you know, it, it was good to, for all of us to invest in really looking afresh at what, where we're going. Um, you know, it used to be called the Waterfront Land Use Plan. It's now the Waterfront Plan because of the comprehensive breadth that the citizens have recommended for all of us. Mm -hmm. And so I think that is very important guidance and vision for the work that the port is gonna be doing from here forward. Um, and couldn't ask for a stronger, more collaborative, wonderful set of team members and staff to shepherd this through, so hopefully everybody's got the script and we can move forward. Thank and, you. And congratulations on working with the swimmers and making sure that they're okay with this also. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, we have a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Motion passes unanimously. Resolution 2315 is adopted. Jenica, next item, please. Item 9B requests authorization to award one contract to Literacy for Environmental Justice for a not to, see, not to exceed amount of $987,000.
That is Resolution 2316. Good afternoon, Commissioners. My name is Elizabeth, Elizabeth Alexander Toots, and I'm here to request authorization to award one contract from the request for proposals for the Marsh Revegetation and Transitional Age Work Training Program. The Port requests authorization to award this contract to Literacy for Environmental Justice, or LEJ, Ledge. The contract will be up to $987,000 and for an initial term of five years with an option to extend for one year. This is a project-based contract with three defined tasks which are detailed before you. The specific native plants that the contractor needs to provide are listed in task one, provide plants. Task two describes the technical level staff and internship jobs that are part of this project. And finally, Task three describes the process of creating a community outreach plan and the work that it may entail. This slide outlines our selection process. We initially advertised this contract in January, held a pre-proposal, answered 11 questions, and received proposals. We advertised to 47 firms, including 33 LBEs. At the end of this process, we received two proposals and worked with, the C with CMD in the evaluation of, the, of proposals. This, there is first a review of minimum qualifications and only one firm passed this review. The panel participated in one stage of the review process, the, in the one stage review process, excuse me. The written proposal was worth 100 points. The criteria is ahead of you. Please note, that this grading rubric includes a diversity, equity, and inclusion plan as a scored item, and the awardee did submit a DEI plan. Literacy for Environmental Justice's scores and CMD rating bonus as applied are before you. Literacy for Environmental Justice is a nonprofit that is CMD certified. This slide outlines the equity considerations. This contract is part of our equity work, as it specifically envisions environmental work, including internships for transitional age youth and employment readiness and support into the marsh revegetation scope of work. We conducted broad outreach amongst the LBE community, and we continue to attribute points to the submission of the DEI plan. Back to my conclusion, I am here to request award. Thank you. Thank you. Can I have a motion? So moved. Second. Okay, let's open it up for public comment. Is there any public comment in the room? Seeing none, Corey, do we have any public comment on the phone? There is no one on the phone wishing to make public comment at this time. Thank you, Corey. Public comment is closed. Commissioner Lee? Uh, no, no comment. Good luck. Thank you. <laughs> Plant those plants. <laughs> Thank you. Vice President Adams. Uh, I have no questions and I'm in support. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I just have one question and that is why was Empire Landscaping non-responsive? Uh, I can give you an overview. I can't remember the exact language and I don't want to speak incorrectly, um, but they did not meet the, uh, the experience criteria for the internships and they also did not have um, control over the, uh, over the nursery and those were two of the requirements. 
Well, who has control of the nursery? You mean the nursery to provide plants? Yes, okay. yes, that's exactly right. And Ledge has a nursery? Yes, that's correct. Great. Ledge does a good job. <laughs> okay, Commissioner Gilman took a little break, so we're going to vote without her. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Um, resolution 2316 is adopted. Thank you. Thank you. Elizabeth. Next item, please. Item 10A is an informational presentation on a proposed new memorandum of understanding with the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing covering the demobilization of the shelter-in-place trailer site in the backlands at Seawall Lot 344 for a term of 10 months. And I'd also like to remind callers to dial star three if you wish to make public comment on this item. Good afternoon, President Brandon, Vice President Adams, Commissioners. This is Kim Deal with the Port um, with the Ports Real Estate and Development Department. I'm the Assistant Deputy Director. I apologize that I am not able to be with you in person today. However, I am joined in uh, with this presentation by Emily Cohn with the San Francisco Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing, who I believe is there in person. Um, and so together, I will be providing you with a background on how we got to where we are today regarding use of the site and key terms of the proposed MOU. And Emily will then be providing an overview of the existing programs at the site, some statistics, and details of how the wind down and demobilization process will work, after which we will both be available for questions. So next slide, please. I'm able to see the slides, so hopefully they're advancing. On February 20th, 2020, Mayor London Breed issued a public health emergency declaration due to COVID-19. In support of the city's efforts to meet the needs of vulnerable populations needing places to isolate and self-quarantine, on April 28, 2020, the Port Commission authorized staff to enter into an MOU with the San Francisco Human Services Agency, or HSA, for a temporary shelter-in-place site at Seawall Lot 344 in the background, in the backlands. Port staff, at the direction of the city's emergency operations center, work with HSA and the Department of Public Health to establish a temporary SAP site for trailers and RVs for unhoused individuals in District 10. 91 trailers provided by the state of California and 29 RVs that were leased by the city were placed on the site along with trailers for administrative functions and support services. The MOU with HSA commenced April 13, 2020 and was set to expire October 31, 2021 or upon the mayor's lifting of the emergency declaration. The mayor rescinded the emergency declaration on February 28, 2023. As the location of the SIP site is highly industrial and not zoned for residential use, the use was intended to be short-term and temporary. Therefore, the original agreement did not contain a holdover provision. So currently there is no active agreement authorizing use of the site. Next slide, please. The MOU with the San Francisco Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing, HSH, so I just want to point out that the original agreement that we entered into was with HSA, 
the new agreement is going to be with HSH. HSA um, left uh, the site or stopped uh, their use of the site ended in 2021. And so HSH has been operating the site since that time. So again, the proposed MOU will be with HSH for a term of 10 months retroactive to March 1st of 2023 to cover the wind down and the mobilization of the site. They will be paying fair market rent during that time, which is a little over $90,000 per month. Next slide, please. As part of the conditions of the MOU, no new placements at the site will be allowed after October 2nd of 2023. All guests are to be relocated no later than December 1st. All site improvements are to be removed by December 31st. And HSH is to provide quarterly status reports to show the progress of the demobilization. Next slide, please. Port staff is in support of the proposed MOU as it allows for a planned wind down while continuing to address the city's need to shelter the unhoused, which is in alignment with the port's evolution objective. And port will receive fair market rent over the term, which is in alignment with the port's economic recovery objective. Next slide, please. As recommended next steps, staff recommends that the Port Commission direct staff to return on April 25th for approval of the MOU. Next slide, please. And with that, I would like to introduce Emily Cohen again with San Francisco Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing. Um, and after Emily's presentation, we will again both be available for questions. Thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon, Commissioners, President Brandon, Vice President Adams, Commissioners, thank you. I'm Emily Cohen with the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing, and I will be sharing a brief presentation on the trailer project at Pier 94. So as Kim mentioned, the program opened right at the beginning of COVID in April of 2020 and has since served 303 unique guests. 37 guests have already moved out and moved into permanent housing. This project really represents, I think, what the, the good parts of a really terrible situation at the beginning of COVID. So many departments came together, wrapped around folks living outside, particularly in the Bayview, and opened this spot with help from the state. And it would not have been possible without the port and their staff. So really want to appreciate everyone for just a like ultimate team effort um, sort of project here and got opened in groundbreaking time. So really one of those rare silver, silver linings coming out of that crisis. But as I was saying, in terms of the impact on people experiencing homelessness, we've served 303 unique guests as of last week. There were 118 guests currently on site across 114 of those units that are still in operation. So we have a couple of couples. The on-site service provider works closely with the Department of uh, Public Health and the Department of and DOS to provide on-site support services, 24-7 staffing, meals, and security on the site. I already started to talk a little bit about these amenities. You can see a picture here of the site. This program offered an opportunity to to provide non-congregate spaces for people, who, most of whom were living in tents in the neighborhood before 
to isolate and be safe from the spread of COVID-19. We were also able to provide bathrooms and showers, both the ones in the RV and ADA accessible units on site, mobile black water pumping, propane service, weekly maintenance of the RVs, two meals a day, laundry service, and we added a stop on our shelter shuttle service so folks could get downtown to medical appointments or other places that they might need to be. A little bit of the demographics of folks who have been served at the site. You'll see here the majority of guests were between the ages of 45 and 64, and 70% of the guests were self-identified as African-American or Black. And the vast majority of these guests were brought in by outreach teams working in the Bayview-Hunters Point neighborhood. You can see, similar to the breakdown of people experiencing homelessness generally, about 66% of our guests were male, 1% uh, transgender, 30% female, and about 9% of the population served was Latinx. I won't read the Good Neighbor Policy, but this is a copy of the Good Neighbor Policy that is included in the MOU. And we do provide quarterly reports to the port on incidents occurring on site, as well as the current guests and the supportive housing place or and housing placements made that month. This is just a quick success story. Uh, we had an opportunity to interview a woman who lived in the trailers, changed her name here for privacy, but she'd been homeless on the streets of the Bayview for over 13 years and had really lost hope and had lost sort of connection with ongoing care. And she and her husband were brought in by the outreach team to the trailer program and were welcomed with a hot shower, hot meals, and the support of the staff on site. And they really became a part of the community, which was instrumental when her husband suffered a heart attack. The case managers were able to get medical services to them right away and support the family, the couple, as they moved through that challenging health crisis. Uh, Susan is now moving into housing and or has moved into housing in Mission Bay, which is really exciting, one of our new supportive housing projects that came online, and she is able to take care of her husband in their new home because of a lot of the support they received at the trailer program. So wind down in demobilization, as Kim mentioned, we are requesting an extension, or I guess it's a new MOU to continue operations until the end of the year so that we can responsibly and deliberately wind down the project and ensure that people have offers of safe alternative places to be rather than just returning to the street. A um, bit of this is redundant to what Kim already mentioned, but our wind down process includes the timeline of guest notification. We will have our coordinated entry team on site to finish the work of ensuring that everyone there has been assessed for housing. We will move guests who are eligible for housing into permanent homes. For folks who might not be eligible yet for housing, we will work to ensure placement into a shelter and keeping in mind their geographic preference. If they're interested because so many of the folks are from the area, we want to make sure to offer them shelter in the area if that is their choice. And then we'll of course work with Public Works and our vendors to remove the infrastructure from the site. Kind of already said all of this, um, but as of er, last week, 
We had 118 active guests on site. 59 are eligible for permanent housing placement. Um, eight are eligible for flexible financial assistance. And 51 guests are left to be, are still to be assessed. So that work will be happening over the next few months to ensure that we can move folks into housing. And I will take any questions you might have. Thank you. Thank you, Emily and Kim, for the presentation. Is there any public comment in the room? Alice. Good afternoon. <clears throat> Again, commissioners, I'm Alice Rogers. Um, and I actually am not familiar with this site, but I want to take the opportunity to just say um, what great partners HSH and the port have been around these affordable, these um, shelter situations. I um, am lucky enough to serve on the um, advisory group around the Embarcadero Navigation Center, and um, it. And I am continually impressed by the number of hours <laughs> that both agencies really devote behind the scenes um, to making things work. We fortunately really have had no issues, but I think it's really because of the work that the staff has been doing behind the scenes. So I'm sure that this MOU will um, go very, very smoothly. Thank you. Is there any other public comment in the room? Corey, do we have anyone on the phone? There is no one on the phone at this time wishing to make public comment. Thank you. Commissioner Gilman. Um, thank you um, so much for this report. Um, my questions mostly um, are for HSH, not for port staff. And before I ask my questions, I sort of want to frame them. Um, and this is just more both as a commissioner for the port, as citizen of San Franciscan. Um, and um, first of all, I want to commend the port for always stepping up. Um, we have two navigation centers on our property, and we didn't, we didn't you know, skip a beat in approving this during the pandemic. Um, and so this is said with full support for having facilities like th this, even if we had the opportunity supportive housing on port property. But I guess, Emily, in the series of questions I have, I'm, I'm actually confused, um, not about the extension of the MOU, but the fact that we would demobilize over 100 interim housing sites when we have thousands and thousands of people still on our street. And with the risk of having these folks flood back into the um, southeast waterfront neighborhoods that are adjacent um, when this demobilization happens. So I, I don't understand why we're demobilizing the site. Thank you, Commissioner. It's Rebecca Benassini. I'll start to answer, um, and Kim, you can jump in as well. So the site is, as you know, not zoned for residential, and this was intended to be a temporary use. Um, we've been working with various types of potential tenants for the backland site, okay. which is primarily an industrial type of location, looking at maritime industrial potential supports for offshore wind as we work with those companies that come in. So Emily, for sure, would not say she yeah. wants to leave. Oh, she okay. would love to stay oh, as long nice. as possible. Oh, um, as as I, I, we, We've been so grateful to work with Emily. Yes. They do such a tremendous job and have yes. such an incredible charge. Yes. And we they've been so gracious as we've been working with them on this yes. demobilization. But it's really our own. The, this particular site, we ultimately need to have it back for okay. industrial types of purposes. Mm -hmm. But we are looking forward to working with them on the other navigation center sites and have been really impressed 
just like Alice said, with their dedication okay. and their work ethic. So uh, I wanted to step in so you didn't have to try to fumble through that one. So, so I just is, want to amplify oh, what Rebecca has said. It's absolutely the report's request for the demobilization. It is? Okay. Absolutely. So uh, the port stepped in during the pandemic. We actually prepared the site uh, for the trailers. It was our maintenance team that was out there and in record time uh, with DPW and HSH got that site ready with incredible enthusiasm and, and desire to house people and shelter people during mm -hmm. the pandemic from District 10 but it had to be a temporary site. This is our uh, marine facilities, this is our maritime industrial okay. area, and we are, in, in my director's report, I was talking about all the various opportunities for blue-green maritime and for industrial activities that are so critical to San Francisco. So it's absolutely, the city is supporting the port's desire for its facilities, um, uh, its, its importance to the city of its industrial locations, and Emily is working at our request 100%, it's not Emily's request or HSH. No, and, and Director Probst, thank you so much for clarifying that, and I absolutely respect that it was in temporary use in a sensitive area, and if we can reclaim that and meet our goals, I'm absolutely supportive of that. M my concern just really was sort of the, the 37 guests who found permanent housing, that's a beautiful figure, but over a period of almost three years from a percentage point, you're looking at about 11% placement into housing, and my concern is in a neighborhood that we have so much happening, Pier 70, uh, I mean, the power plant's gonna start, and even, I know that's not our property, but we have a boom of development, we have the Blue Greenway, we have the new parks. My concern is these individuals call this neighborhood their home, and if they're not linked to permanent housing resources, my concern is that we're gonna see encampments um, and other ways for folks to live, you know, that's going to also affect our interests. So that's sort of where my line of questioning was was going. That I think we have a moral responsibility to ensure those 118 individuals have a safe, secure place to lay their head after December 31st. And that's not so much a port responsibility; it's more the department's responsibility. So I just, I just wanted to understand, you know, say where this was coming from. So I uh, I appreciate the clarification. So Emily, are you gonna keep the trailers and relocate to another site? We've not yet identified another site to relocate to. We will be working with the state to determine how many of them, we're doing an assessment of the physical condition of them and see how many are able to be kept. And if so, we're gonna be looking for property, but also we have the opportunity to return them to the state, which is what most other communities have done. To your concern, right? This is my primary concern as well and something that we've been really working on. We're taking, we're approaching the wind down of this site the same way we did the shelter in place hotels, which had a 65% housing placement rate out of them through the very deliberate, very concerted wind down effort. So much higher than in, you know, a typical placement process. Not a lot of families or households have moved out yet because we have not done a big push to do this. They will be notified soon of the wind down and we'll be, we will begin that process. With 59 already determined to be housing referral status, I'm pretty confident we can get them into either project-based supportive housing or into a rental subsidy that could be hopefully used in the neighborhood, which would be ideal. Um, and then we will continue to work with the remainder of the guests to assess them. For my conversations with the operator, it does seem that many folks will likely be eligible for supportive housing or for a housing voucher, which is, good news for the wind down process. And then for folks who are not, we will make offers of shelter placement, leading with the Bayview and Bayshore Navigation Centers. So if they wanna stay in the neighborhood, they will have that option. 
Um, but this is absolutely our concern and why we're asking for the additional 10 months to do this as responsibly as possible. Okay, I just have one other yeah. one other question. Um, so, uh, you know, I actually I can take it offline, I guess. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to know if the state is, if it's up to us whether to keep the trailers. So the state's not mandating that we return them. No. So I just want to say for the record as a citizen and as a commissioner, I hope that the department chooses to keep them. It's a valuable resource. Um, they could be placed in many locations from Lake Merced <coughs> um, to, um, you know, to, um, I don't know, to um, Fisherman's Wharf. I'm just saying that we need to, we, we, you know, we have a crisis on our streets and um, we see it right across here mm -hmm. um, that we have folks that are unhoused and I just really hope the city will be committed to interim housing solutions and getting as many people off the street as possible. Um, I, I support the extension and I re absolutely respect that the port that we need our property back for our own goals, our own initiatives. Um, particularly in the southeast waterfront. But um, I just need to say we need to be doing more, and I hope we're not giving away valuable resources when we could ask other communities and other parts of San Francisco to step up, particularly the west side, and house our unsheltered um, brothers and sisters. Thank you, Commissioner Gilman. I, I couldn't agree more. You know, we're uh, on the brink of launching a strategic plan, which will call for a significant expansion of interim housing and temporary shelter. We need more, not less of this. Finding large parcels for this type of project has been exceedingly challenging. We've been looking on the west side for a vehicle triage center or safe parking place for over a year without much luck. So if you know of parcels, public or privately owned, that might be options for this, text me, call me offline. I am, well, not me personally, my our real estate folks are scouring the city um, looking for parcels for just this opportunity. Thanks. All done? <laughs> Thank you. Commissioner Lee. <clears throat> well, I mean, it's, this thing's so important, um, you know, and the trailers and it's clean and it gives people a second chance to really, you know, get it together. And I know there's such a shortage, you know, it's a shame that we just can't keep it going, but obviously progress and environmental issues. But um, yeah, I'm supportive of the issues. I just hope we can find another location. I think trailer parts are always been a great thing, even in the private sector, to give people a chance, second chance. So good luck. So if you know of any lots or parcels available, let Emily know. Not that, <laughs> not that big. <laughs> I wish. Thank you. Vice President Adams. Uh, Kim and Emily, th thank you so much. Um, and I want to thank Mayor Bree's leadership and her vision and, and moving on this. And um, when I was listening to the statistics, um, wow, uh, I haven't forgot that when Ronald Reagan was governor, he shut down all the mental hospitals in Cal California. And it's sad to see that 70% of the people were black and a high percentage of men, a lot of them probably are veterans. And I remember uh, President Brandon was gone, she was on vacation, but when we had the Navigation Center across the street, and Alice will remember that day, we had about 30 police here in the room, and it was a bond burner here in that day, boy. It was exciting. But, uh, and sometimes we worry about, we future trip about 80% of things that would never happen, but we got it through that day. 
And it's good to see that the port that we're able to engage in. And one thing that I like about what's happening here is because everybody's always on their P's and Q's when everybody's watching. But the most important thing is what are you doing when nobody's watching? And that speaks to your integrity and to your principles. And I think that's what the port is doing. Um, Emily, I, I see what you're saying. And we have to continue to do all that we can, uh, we can do. And sometimes, you know what, this here, maybe this chose us. So be it. We have a moral and a responsibility to do all that we can. So I, I appreciate and I'm supportive. However, this thing moved, my fellow commissioners asked some good questions. But uh, I would tell anybody, anybody can wind up homeless. Don't ever think that you're above something bad happening or circumstances happening in your life, whether you had a heart attack or stroke, lost a good job, got strung out on drugs. Everybody that's had a story, some people were very, very successful, so don't ever underestimate or belittle. We have an obligation to, to help as many people as we can. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Emily and Kim, thank you so much for the presentation. And Emily, I don't envy you and your role in, in what you have to do because, you know, just like here, nobody's happy all the time. You know, you, everyone has their different issues and challenges. And, and I think the port has ex been extremely supportive of HSH and, you know, with the two navigation centers, with um, the, the trailer, the RV park. And, I, you know, I, I wish there was more that we could do because it's such a huge, huge issue. But it's all also, you know, it's a citywide issue. And somehow we have to all get together and speak up and say that we have to take care of this. We all have to do something to help with this. It can't just be concentrated in one area. You know, there are homeless people all over San Francisco. And, and so I, this, I'm, this is just from my knowledge, and I'm wondering with the two navigation centers that we have, and I know that we had to decrease the use of them because of COVID and to give extra space, but now COVID's over. So are those at full capacity? And do we have room to take in more? Thank you very much for the question, President Brandon. Across our shelter system, we reduced capacity dramatically at the beginning of COVID, moved folks to hotels, and we are nearly back to where we were at before COVID in terms of expansion. We have a bit more work to do at Embarcadero Navigation Center to expand, but most of our other beds are back online at this point. So um, we will be expanding that property again, or up to its full potential, which it had never achieved because it was still in the ramp up phase when COVID started. Um, but other than there, other than there, we are pretty much fully back to our pre-COVID. And so what do we need to do at Embarcadero? The beds have been ordered. When okay. they're here, we'll <laughs> put some people in them. Yeah. And are people, sorry. Are go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I mean, I guess the question I have is, you know, we read stories in the Chronicle and other papers all the time that folks are not accepting congregate shelter. Are people accepting this beautiful navigation center that we yes. and you invested so much in? Yes. So we now actually have a publicly available dashboard on our website that tracks bed availability. And you'll see it fluctuates every day. But last time I looked at it, which I think was Monday, 
Monday, it was about 90% full. So, and that's across our entire shelter system. So we wanna make sure we have a, enough slack in that system to respond to emergencies, make sure the homeless outreach team has the beds they need to be out offering folks placements, but we don't wanna drop below 85, 90% utilization because we wanna make sure folks are in those beds. And they are. Uh, we definitely hear from the street a lot of preference for non-congregate, uh, like the trailers, but people are still accepting the congregate shelters as well. Thank you, Emily. Thank you. Any other questions? Oh, Vice President Adams. Well, I think we know we need to also point out that this is just not a problem here in uh, San Francisco. Um, Commissioner Lee was just in D.C. It's in D.C., it's in Sacramento, it's in Seattle, it's in Portland, it's in Los Angeles. The mayor's race was all about the homeless problem in Los Angeles, one of the largest cities. New York, everywhere across this country, there is an issue with homelessness. We can't escape it. And the politicians, a lot of politicians very seldom talk about it in the higher race like president, stuff like that. But this is something that is plaguing this country. And really, we're the richest nation in the world. And really, we ought to be ashamed of ourselves. We can do better. We can do better, and we have not done better. We can do better. Uh, FDR said it best, you can be tough, but you don't have to be cruel. And to me, this is a form of being cruel. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other comments, questions, recommendations? <laughs> Thank you, Emily. We look, look forward to seeing you on the 25th. Okay, Jenica, next item, please. Item 11A is an informational presentation on request for proposals from pre-qualified pool for consultant services for the proposed Pier 50 earthquake improvement project, initial study, and pre-design services. Good afternoon, Commissioners, Executive Director Forbes. My name is Stephen Real with the Waterfront Resilience Program. I just quickly wanted to introduce Chris Horiuchi, who will present on this, uh, on this item. Chris joined the Waterfront Resilience Program in January. As a project manager, he's taken on key responsibilities in the program, including the project manager for the Pier 50 Earthquake Improvement Project. He's supporting early Embarcadero early projects, including the uh, Ferry Building Seawall Project and the Downtown Coastal Resilience Project. He's helping us shape our earthquake performance objectives, and he's leading up the program's sustainability guidance, including developing the methodology for embodied carbon and the adaptation strategies and the early project alternatives. Chris has a bachelor's degree from UC San Diego, a master's from Berkeley. Um, he is the co-chair for the American Society of Civil Engineers Sustainable Structures Committee and he is a husband and a recent father. <laughs> and so I'm thrilled that he's joined the program. And so Chris. Um, good afternoon, uh, President Brandon, Vice President Adams, Commissioners Lee and, and Commissioner Gillen. And thank you, Steve, for a very nice introduction. <laughs> I wasn't expecting uh, such so thorough of an introduction, so thank you. Um, but like Steve said, I am uh, Chris Horiuchi, a project manager um, with the Waterfront Resilience Program, uh, or WRP. Um, and so in addition to Steve, I'm also joined here by uh, Carlos Colon, uh, program administrator, 
um, and Elizabeth Alexander too uh, for contracts. Um, and I believe also um, Melinda Canios of CFD is on um, is on the is joining online as well, and and they can help answer any questions. Um, so we are all excited uh, to be here to give an informational presentation um, on our intent to issue an RFP um, for the initial study and pre-designed services for the Pier 50 earthquake improvement project. So I will give a brief introduction uh, to the project itself and then discuss the expected contract um, and the RFP process where we are using uh, a pre-qualified pool. Um, so the, the Pier 50 site is located just south of Mission Creek and it's a unique pier along the waterfront. It was originally constructed in the 1920s uh, with sheds A and B. Uh, and at that point, Mission Rock, the, the island of Mission Rock was separate out in the bay uh, and it held a, a grain terminal um, used since the late 1800s. And then in, 19, in the 1940s, um, that grain terminal was obsolete and burned down um, and the pier was extended um, to an, uh, encircle uh, Mission Rock, and at that point, sheds C and D were built, um, which explains the kind of unique shape of, of this pier. Um, sheds, a, sheds A, B, and C are, are leased out or available um, for lease, and Shed D houses the port maintenance division, um, including all the offices, machine shops, and storage for their equipment and vehicles. So the WRP is, is very motivated uh, for the earthquake improvement project at this site. Um, mainly due to its importance for disaster response and recovery. Um, when an earthquake does occur in San Francisco, the port maintenance would be immediately tasked with repairs and assessments along the entire waterfront. And if this facility is damaged and their access to the equipment is restricted, um, the repairs to the entire port jurisdiction would be hindered. Uh, and because the, the pier and sheds here are largely original, they're between 75 and 100 years old, they were designed prior to the use of modern seismic codes, and they have just seen the normal deterioration of waterfront structures. Um, there is indeed a risk to this facility if a large earthquake occurs. Um, and the strategic importance of this facility um, and the need for improvements um, has been identified by a number of departments, uh, the Office of Resilience and Capital Planning in the 2020 uh, Lifelines Restoration Performance Project identified it the Department of Emergency Management and its 2021 Joint Disaster Response Exercise, um, and as well as the port itself in its 2022 additional assessment of the southern waterfront. Uh, we'll also note that the, the port uh, has listed this project in the 2021 2025 strategic plan for its resilience and economic benefits. Uh, and then also noting that the funding for this project, for the first phases of this project, um, are sourced from the uh, ARPA stimulus funds received from the port. Um, so for the expected contract and scope of work, uh, this um, is the initial phases of the overall improvement project. Um, so this part is split into two phases. Uh, phase one uh, would entail an overall assessment of the facility uh, with investigations of existing conditions, structural and geotechnical seismic analysis, um, and a documentation of flood risks to the facility. Uh, from this assessment, uh, we'd be able to um, develop a list of repair and retrofit projects. Uh, then phase two would uh, take the highest priority of those identified projects and advance them into pre-design. This pre-design phase would include the scoping, alternative selection, and conceptual engineering, and end in defined projects with scope, schedule, and budget. 
And, and by advancing the projects through pre-design, we would be setting up the port to pursue additional funding uh, for the detailed design and construction of these improvement projects. The duration of this contract would be two years with an option to extend for an additional year, uh, a contract not to exceed value of $2.7 million, and to note that a separate contract uh, would be awarded for the detailed design and construction work beyond phase two. So for this um, RFP, it will only be advertised uh, to the pre-qualified engineering services pool um, established by the Port Commission Resolution 2268, uh, executed on December 13th, 2022. Uh, the pool was created from the responses to the RFQ for uh, as-needed engineering services. Seven teams listed here met the minimum qualifications and were entered into the pool. Um, only these teams are eligible to respond. CMD has reviewed um, and confirmed the LBE requirement for this Pier 50 project will remain identical to that established in the RFQ with a 20% minimum LBE subconsulting requirement. And to select a consultant, we will engage a CMD-approved panel to grade their proposers on both the original RFQ response uh, and their specific Pier 50 proposal. And scoring will be based on their approach to the work uh, and their experience and qualifications uh, of the firms and their personnel. Uh, and finally, just to summarize the, the schedule, uh, we plan to issue the RFP in the next week. Um, proposals would then be reviewed by the panel in May and a top scoring team selected. We then plan to come back to the commission um, in June uh, for a request approval to award the contract, um, hoping to uh, start this important project for the port um, in July 2023. Um, so that concludes the presentation. Thank you for your time. and. Look forward to any questions. Thank you and welcome, Chris. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. Um, is there any public comment in the room? <clears throat> Seeing none, is there any public comment on the phone? There is no one on the phone wishing to make public comment no at this time. No one wants to make public comment today. Nope. <laughs> uh, Commissioner Lee. Um, I mean, I'm glad it's being done. I mean, when when the when you guys uh, uh, Maritime took me on the boat and I looked underneath the underneath that pier, I mean, it's just amazing how things are standing up, you know. So I'm I just, you know, again, hope we can move faster and get the right people in there and and and, and do look if they finish their projects on time. <laughs> that's that's just my thing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Gilman. Um, Chris, thanks for the report and being with us. Um, it, it, I just wanted to make sure an assumption I was working off of was right. It seems that the pre-qualifying pool has enabled us to issue this, do this in three months, which I think is great. It's a little speedier than we normally operate. Do you credit that to doing the pre-qualified pool first? Yeah, that, that's correct. It definitely streamlined the process, both for the um, proposers themselves and for the port that we're able to start this more quickly, yes. So I just want to encourage us whenever possible to use pre-qualified pools. I like the fact that when we have these projects popped up or we have funding from ARPA, an opportunity that we can move more quickly and nimbly. So I really am supportive of this process overall for us from a contracting perspective. And thank you for your presentation. Thank you. Thank you. Vice President Adams. Chris, uh, great presentation. I guess that was hard to follow at the Professor Stephen there uh, gave you that <laughs> quite introduction there, right? Um, 
great presentation. Um, I've always said that we, we seem to be like so far ahead on this and we're continuing to move and, and bringing you on now and just is a good thing. And so I'm, I'm expecting more things to come. And like I said, uh, this is something that from the beginning with Stephen was talking about all this earthquake thing. And I think about it because it seemed like it's a couple of times a week we have earthquakes. And it's kind of makes me wonder one day we're going to really have a big one here in San Francisco. And I, I wouldn't be surprised. So I appreciate what you're doing. And uh, I'm very supportive of it. Thank so, you. Okay. Thank you. Um, great presentation. So once we do the design and we're ready for whatever recommendation there is for uh, construction, how will this be paid for? Um, so right now we have not determined that, um, but we believe by advancing to the pre-design uh, and kind of identifying the prioritization and importance for disaster recovery, there are, would be grants available um, to fund this. Oh, great. Okay. Thank you. So this is an informational presentation, and you're not coming back to us for a, um, a no, you're, you're coming back with an award uh, after you go June. out. Yes. Got it. That's correct. Thank in you. June, if all goes well. If all goes well. Correct. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Jenica, next item, please. Item 12 is new business. I've recorded the following new business to schedule a tour of the Living Seawall for commissioners um, and to discuss uh, and to um, provide a report on contract closeout uh, coming on on time on budget and other performance uh, metrics. Um, and also there were several comments uh, by Commissioner Lee related to real estate and I, I put it down that we may have a briefing or an info item. I'm going to follow up with you Great. and our president. And that, is there any other new business? Any other new business? Actually, could we get a mid-six-month um, mid check-in on the demobilization of the Navigation Center, mostly around linkage to housing, um, and maybe also to understand overall from the department um, when, when they do their housing placements? I want to ensure there's not, um, I don't think there would be, but um, any um, racial disparities, given the fact that so many, majority of the population at this site is um, our, our black and brown community here in San Francisco. I want to make sure they're having access to permanent housing solutions. Any other new business? Vice President Adams? Madam President, with your indulgence, I would like to adjourn in solidarity with the Tennessee Three. Mm. Is there a second? I, sec I second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? The meeting is adjourned at 5.26 p.m. Madam President, we've got time for one glass of real wine. <laughs> let me see, let me see. Um, meeting is adjourned. SFGov TV, San Francisco Government Television.